0: I don't see the benefit of dead drilling anymore where like, say, just repping out leg drags. I've done it. You know, I I thought that was great. Repping out leg drags, repping out leg drags. To me, that's just the benefit of that is kind of that, you know, that mental toughness, the grind of just drilling it. And I'm just going to, I'm not even going to like it. And I'm just going to go.
1: Welcome to Forever White Belt, the podcast where we delve into the world of jiu-jitsu and its fascinating stories of its practitioners and thought leaders. I'm your host, Adolfo Ferranda. In today's episode, we have a special guest who embodies dedication and experience on the mats, Rob Cole, a first-degree black belt with over 21 years of training. Rob's journey in jiu-jitsu has been nothing short of remarkable. He earned his purple belt under the renowned Eddie Bravo, known for his innovative approach to grappling. Continuing to hone his skills, Rob was awarded his black belt from the highly respected Preet Mikkelsen, a testament to his technical proficiency. But Rob's expertise doesn't end there. As a BJJ Globetrotters coach, he has not only expanded his knowledge, but also had the privilege of sharing it with aspiring practitioners around the world. He's also earned a black shirt under the legendary Frank Shamrock, further showcasing his dedication to martial arts. Beyond his achievements in jiu-jitsu, Rob has also ventured into the world of mixed martial arts, showcasing his skills inside the cage. However, what truly sets him apart is his ecological approach to teaching jiu-jitsu. Rob incorporates these principles into his training and teaching methods, fostering a deeper sense of learning and understanding of the art. Join us as we delve into the insights of Rob Cole as he shares his journey, knowledge, and unique perspective on the art of jiu-jitsu. Welcome to Forever White Belt. Rob, welcome to the show, man.
0: Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it.
1: So, Rob, you have a very interesting uh, background and journey of jiu-jitsu, I've noticed, because when we were doing our research, we saw you at various belt levels. Rob is a black belt, and you have all these amazing instructors, purple belt. You even have an Eddie Bravo uh, belt, and you are a black belt under friend of the show, Preet Mikkelsen, correct?
0: Yeah, I got my first stripe under Preet last year, um, and I actually, before before even jiu-jitsu, I got my black shirt from Frank Shamrock. So that was my original grappling introduction. And, uh, you know, Black Belt and Karate, Jeet Kune Do Concepts, Apprentice Instructor. You know, I was so obsessed with, like, kicks and, you know, I got into it because of Van Damme. You know, I'm 12 or 13 and I rented uh, Bloodsport and Kickboxer, you know, the classics. And I'm like, well, look at this guy, you know? So I just started practicing splits in my bedroom, you know, before I even joined karate, you know? So I'm like, all right, let's, let's do this. And I've been doing martial arts for, you know, over 30 years now, you know, all because of, uh, all because of blood sport. <laughs> I'm from Connecticut, which I live now again, but I, at 20 something years old, me and my wife, you know, Hey, let's just move, you know? And then we just <laughs> went across the country and moved to California. And, uh, I was still doing, you know, Jeet Kune do, And we were like, you know, I was trying to figure out what this grappling was. I had the Hens Gracie, uh, Craig Kuka tapes. The VHS tapes, and we would just have wrestling mats, and we were just practicing arm bars and anything, and cranking on legs. Yeah, actually, a blue belt who was a rare blue belt, like in Connecticut. I think he li- he might have learned in New York or something. He just came by our school at the Jeet Kune Do school one day, and he just tore us all up. And I'm like, okay, that's what real training's like. And I thought the blue belt was like the the thing. Then I moved out to California. And I'm like looking for some jujitsu skills in the Bay Area. There's a lot of stuff going around. They had like Half Gracie, you know, other Gracie was around there. But I'm like, hey, there's this Frank Shamrock guy. I've watched him on Pancrace, you know, him and his brother. I watched Ken and then I seen Frank and, and I'm like, all right, so I'll play, you know, do a little jujitsu. I signed up, what I think, with Michael Jen. I think he was one of the first black belts under Roy Harris. So I was doing one day a week jujitsu and then I started training at Frank's a couple times a week. And I was doing both. And Frank's like, hey, you know, you could just keep coming here. You know, you still do your jujitsu, but if you want to, you know, fight and do stuff. I didn't like the gear at all. So I'm like, all right, let me just, you know, stick with Frank, you know. And that's when he was winning the UFC title and all that. And I'm like, all right, I think I like this stuff, you know. So I started there and we would train hard. It was much different back then in the late 90s. It was pretty much show up, train hard, and you either survived or you didn't. (laughs) And I always loved the grappling part. I still did the striking. I did all the wrestling, which, you know, obviously grappling, but I liked the ground game. We were doing leg locks like day one. The first technique I learned was a knee bar, which was like, you didn't do that back then in jujitsu. So I've always been kind of on the, in the beginning, I was kind of always on the outside of the jujitsu world. You know, you had this submission grappling and you had the jujitsu people in their gi and they're like, leg locks are, you know, junk And you know, this is how we got to train. And I was just always kind of on the outside of that for a long time. It was always sub grappling focused. So I just stuck with that. And I then I just immediately, you know, after a year or two, I just started teaching under Frank. Everywhere I go, I seem like I always end up teaching somewhere now. So uh, maybe they like my instruction, maybe I'm personable enough. I don't know. I always seem to end up teaching wherever I
1: go. I think you're a great teacher.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you.
1: We should probably tell uh, the listeners as well that you're affiliated now uh, for I don't know how long but with a Globetrotters as an instructor with them. And he's got Rob's got a great video out or Globetrotters does in conjunction with them.
0: Yeah, thank you. That just that was my first camp I taught at the Globetrotters in Arizona. And now I'm teaching again at the end of this month in Maine. And then I'm doing Arizona again in November. It's a great experience. I love it. I've always been an instructional guy, even from back in the 90s. I don't know if you remember Panther Productions in the back of uh, Black Belt Magazine. You know, I I got I had all those instructionals. Wow.
1: Yeah. You got it all, man. I, I
0: was doing Jeet Kune Do, You know, uh, they had uh, some Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I think some guys were like blue belts and they were passing themselves off as black belts. <laughs> you know, somebody doing like combat sambo. And I, I would just get anything. And then me and my buddies, my Jeet Kune Do buddies, we would just train and just figure stuff out. And we were also doing like stick fighting from the Dog Brothers. I don't know if you remember those. So we would, (laughs) I would do like full contact stick fighting, you know, just with headgear and handgear, that's it. And I've always loved martial arts, constant learning, reading, listening to stuff. I just always been into learning. That's just my main goal.
1: Are you still, like, on top of that? Like, I mean, you know, you mentioned these early books and, and magazines and VCR tapes, and you mentioned VHS, CDs, DVDs, uh, CD-ROMs. Remember those? Oh, yeah. And then, um, early youtube kind of weird stuff and then now it's gotten just insane you know obviously B- fanatics but it's almost now to the point where like everyone's kind of putting on their own and then you can see aoj plus and lachlan giles's thing and and now even personal coaching personal pt jiu-jitsu reviews of your own rolling in tournaments by professionals i mean it's completely yeah. insane right
0: oh i I love it personally, because I've always been in that. And in reality, in my 20, over 20 years of just grappling, you know, of submission grappling and jujitsu, the gi, no gi, whatever, I've probably learned more through online resources than the actual instructors I've trained with. Like, and that's not a slight on them because we don't have the same body type. We don't have the same experience. You know, I've trained under guys that are pressure passing monsters and guys that are doing this and that. I'm like, I'm not a big guy. So my game is always I've had to find what works for me. You know, I'll try to learn something. If it just doesn't work, maybe throw it away, try it again, or like in that uh, in that Globetrotter video, the rare triangle. It took me like 20 years to like get good at triangles because it never worked for me. I have my legs are thick and I would always go to arm bars or something else. And I just never really did triangles. But as I started coaching more and teaching more, I'm like, I can't show people my game. I need to have a really big scope of jujitsu to train people. And I'm like, if this person wants to do triangles, I need to understand why that works. And then now, then I started, you know, reverse engineering it, working it, looking at different instructionals. Everything started coming together. And it's like, then I started finally triangling people. The way I trained it, the way I, you know, look at it, talk to other people. And just, I still watch stuff all the time constantly. I was on the original uh, MG in Action Marcelo site when that first came out. Then I switched over to uh, Mendez Brothers. That's probably one of my biggest spurts in jujitsu was probably joining their site. I think their their coaching and teaching is amazing. And then, you know, I did the Eddie Bravo stuff and then more recently Preet and I send videos to Preet. And he watches me roll and we critique, talk about it. Then, you know, I get to meet up with him at a seminar and at Globetrotters and I enjoy learning. And I think I, I love the name of this show, you know, because <laughs> that's how I, that's how I've always done it. I'm I'm like, hmm. as a coach, I still want to learn all the time. I don't stop. I feel like if you're going to be a coach, you need to keep learning just as a student. You know, I've heard you ask other desks, what makes a good student? What makes a good coach? And I think if you go under the the guise of learning, I think you're going to be all right because uh, you, you put yourself in so many different situations. And I, and one of my, you know, not a pet peeve is that I, I've trained with some great people over the years and they just show their game, and they just kind of stop learning stuff, and they don't keep up on what's new. For me, I probably would have gave up this stuff if it was just self defense back in the day. <laughs> hoist Gracie kick, double under—it's yeah. <laughs> still great. It works, you know. It's it, it, sure. it was proven. But uh, at this point in my life, you know, I'm getting up there in age, and I still love to train. I and mean, I'm not getting into fights. To me, this is all about learning. It's about growth. It's about and as we're adults, it's our chance to play.
1: You mentioned that, you know, you've consumed all this content and, uh, you know, you've been a subscriber of many things and, and seeing different sort of online instructions and magazine and books, as, as, we've mentioned, can you talk about filtering the, the stuff that wasn't for you? You know, did you, I imagine, you know, you saw some bad stuff, oh, or, yeah. you know, um, how do you go through that process of vetting?
0: What I think as I've you know, keep doing this stuff over the years. I think Kit, Kit Dale was one of the first ones to be like talking about concepts. Like Kit doesn't get a lot of credit now, but he was like concepts, concepts. And he didn't really have much stuff out, some videos here and there. And I wasn't going to, you know, I didn't buy any of the stuff yet at the time. So I was like, okay, concepts, cool idea. And then you got pre, And then, then I started thinking, I'm like, but the Mendez brothers, like they're Hoffa Mendez. He's the best jujitsu player I've ever seen for offense, defense, gee, no gee. I don't think there's anybody better. I have these, re, you know, I, I remember these things like he got passed one time at Black Belt, and that was against Cobrinha, like his first year at Black Cabrino. Pelt. Cobrinha,
1: another, another amazing guy. Amazing. I yeah. love Cobrinha
0: and <laughs> and Hoffa, like it's it's amazing what he does. So you watch his stuff and he could, you know, he could talk technique for, you know, an hour. You know, he could break down the littlest grip. But when I list, when I look at stuff like that, I try to pull the concept from it. And then I remember when I really wanted to get good at guard retention. I think they were the first guys to really talk about guard retention. Because in the past, and I'm talking about, this is like 10 years now, like when Mendez Brothers first came out online. Everybody had like guard recovery or this and that, but nobody talked about retention. Not getting past how you align yourself. And I'd watch all the techniques and the the, the drills and this and that. But then when I'm rolling with people and I'm like trying to learn guard retention, I just kept remembering in my head, uh, control the distance. Always have a frame. Always have something in front of them and don't let them control your head. And you could pretty much put that to any guard. Have your feet in front of you. They get by your feet. Have your knee. Don't let them pass your hip line and don't let them control your head. And fight with your hands. There's guard retention right there. You could apply that to anything reverse Delehiva, Delhiva, spider guard. It doesn't matter. That's why I've never been like a big half guard player or deep half, especially because I'm smaller. Cause if I lose that, if I lose that underhook, they're pinning me, put me flat on the back and then they're passing my legs. I'm not going to give you that free. Keenan has a great video on the layers of guard. I'm not going to let you pass my feet first. Then I'm not going to let you pass my knees. Cause like that half guard with the underhook, you're, you're only fighting for the underhook. So it's kind of almost like a 50-50 shootout. You either get it or you don't. And then you're end up getting smashed. And I'm like, I don't want to get smashed. That's, that's not my game. I don't want to battle you forever there even now I'm, I'm older i'm you know i'm 48 years old i still play uh an open guard game a lot of movement i think you should still do that even when you're older not just get stuck just this is my game so those concepts from the Mendes brothers those guys and then Preet with the the defensive stuff chris Payne's lachlan like lachlan's a super technical guy and he'll break down everything but you still got to listen to what else they're saying it could be uh, an eight-hour dvd with a billion techniques like Donaher. I like his first DVD because that's where he talks about the concepts of it. So that's where I get more out of is learning why that stuff worked. I don't want a technique hunt anymore because I think techniques are a little snapshot in time of when it worked just right then. Because when we roll and train that technique, it's not going to be there when resistance is there. So you could drill it a million times, but then somebody starts smashing into you and Grabbing you and moving this way or just just changing their angle a little different. You got to come up with something So I, I stick to the concept of it.
1: You mentioned uh, drilling. Let's talk about that It's one of the things we talked about earlier in our conversations was uh, this notion of dead drilling Can you uh, first of all explain to the listener? What is dead drilling and your thoughts on it? So
0: I will uh, preface this with uh, There's a lot of great people that drill all the time and they've produced amazing jujitsu and they still produce amazing people And they drill like crazy. But for me at this point, I don't see the benefit of dead drilling anymore. Where like say just repping out leg drags. I've done it. You know, I I thought that was great. Repping out leg drags, repping out leg drags. To me, that's just the benefit of that is kind of that, you know, that mental toughness, the grind of just drilling it and I'm just gonna, I'm not even gonna like it and I'm just gonna go.
1: Or as a warm-up?
0: I don't even do it as a warm-up. You know, what other people do. But this is me personally. This is what I'm talking about for what I do and what I teach. Because I feel like when you're training jujitsu, jitsu Dr. Rob Gray, he does all this ecological approach and ecological dynamics for all different sports. He's got some amazing books. And he said the greatest piece of training equipment ever invented was another human. If you show up to jujitsu and there's people there, use that person, use that body. And if you look at drilling, so say me and you are drilling together and I rep out 20 leg drags and now you go. Now you do your 20, then I do my other side 20 and you do tw- your 20. Just right there, I'm doing half of the training and you're, you're, you're just missing out on the other half. So if you just drill for a half hour, you're only drilling for like 15 minutes if it's equal. And now you're doing it out of context and it's not coupled with any type of resistance or anything. So to me, if you show up and if I show up, I want that full volume of training time of live jujitsu that's how i teach now i don't i haven't shown technique or like drills in a year or two maybe now you know here and there i do some but it's after already going through the other stuff actually putting you in the position letting it go figuring it out but you got some tasks you got some goals and you can actually work through it i'm more of a guide you know i like to see myself as a guide right now instead of like me controlling a video game controller. And I'm just like, you go here, 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 here. You know, you you need that autonomy, you know, and it, it'll help your learning process.
1: So help me understand then, is this like uh, different than situational sparring? Yeah, or? See, uh,
0: so situational sparring is great, but this is situational sparring and different slices with certain tasks and goals associated with
1: it. Can you give me a scenario? Yeah. Like, example?
0: uh, I uh, taught a class. I was teaching some, uh, teen, uh, some of my teens that I trained, and I started them on the back, and they already had the straight jacket grips. So, right from there, I said, What you want to do is you want to try to trap that top arm with your leg. Anything you could do to trap that top arm, get to the other arm and start working for the choke. Now, the person inside the choke, their job is to not let that happen, but they just can't explode and run away. They have to stay there. I teach them a posture, a defensive posture from like the pre type stuff where it gives them some safety and then they hand fight. You know, jujitsu is constant hand fighting. It's always looking for space and looking for different things. So they go from there. You get choked, you lose, you tap, no big deal. (laughs) Now we do that for a little bit. You get you, now you're figuring out how to trap arms. You lose it, you know to grab it again because you already know what the starting position was. So now I do that. We run those. They're both getting it. They're both going live. Then they switch. And then the next round, I might add a little thing. We're saying, okay, now you can try not to get your arms trapped, but now you're looking to get out. You're looking to clear hooks and you're looking to start getting up. So now the person on the back, they are trying to trap your arms, but they're trying to keep you there. So they're literally doing the whole back experience in these things. And I've really haven't shown them super, super technical little details of how to get to it. So it's crazy because you're watching an action, you see these kids or people and you're like, they don't really understand what the straight jacket is at first or anything, but then when you give it to them and you put them there and you give them a goal, they get there <laughs> and they start understanding that. It's really interesting and I, I'm loving it. I, I've been doing this for, it's, it all started because of the defensive stuff from the preach stuff.
1: Just a reminder to please give us a five-star review on Apple Music and Spotify and become a VIP member for only 99 cents a month. Get ad-free episodes at anchor.fm forward slash foreverwhitebelt forward slash subscribe and check us out on Instagram at foreverwhitebeltshow. Go buy your Forever White Belt swag at teespring.com forward slash forever-white-belt. Check us out on YouTube now at Forever White Belt. Finally, if you ever get to beautiful Northern California, Please come roll with us at North Bay Jiu Jitsu in Marin County, just north of San Francisco. They're amazing instructors, and everyone there are great people. Mention the podcast and get two weeks free. Let's get into some of the context for the listener, then, because um, we keep seeing saying yeah, 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 pre yeah, yeah. Preet, Preet. and just to, just for the for those people, you know, um, can can you give some background on? You know, obviously we know who yeah. Preet Mikkelsen is, um, but why don't why don't you give some background? Yeah,
0: Preet is a. Uh, defensive jiu-jitsu guy, and he teaches uh, mostly from postures, and he has uh, certain, you know, concepts of protecting your underhooks, and he has these different positions, you know, turtle, panda, running man, whatever, you know, and he teaches from these postures, so when I started training that, and trying to figure out what this is, and the nature of training defense is, is you can't train defense without offense, so... <laughs> If I'm, pre- I can't rep out defense. I'm not going to go stop the collar, stop the collar. You know, like it, it, this doesn't work like that. I have to put myself in these postures. My story is when I started learning it, it was the start of the pandemic and my gyms were shut down. So my daughter, she was 12, almost 13 at the time, and she just started doing jujitsu like for six months. She finally wanted to do it, you know, and I was teaching her class and we're just at the house. And I'm like, okay. I'm going to play these postures and you just attack me. You do whatever you want. Look for a seatbelt, look for this, look for that. And I was just training it against her. And I was just training now. And then I started seeing her adapt. And she wasn't looking for techniques anymore. She was looking for seatbelts, underhooks, pinning my arm, pinning my elbow, anything to keep me out of these postures. And then I started training out my buddies. We go into the basement, you know, and then now these are adults, you know, purple belt, a brown belt. They couldn't get anything. I'm, I'm just going into these postures and they're attacking and I'm like, man, you know, my daughter's kind of doing better than you right now because she was she was adapting to the open spaces. She was looking for open spaces. She wasn't just looking for techniques. You know, she wasn't looking for a, a clock choke or <laughs> whatever. She was just looking for openings. You know, obviously I'm scaling it to a, a kid compared to an adult, but I could just shut down and then they would They wouldn't get it. So then as I started to open up more and then I start playing different positions and postures and I'm like, all right, is it the postures are super strong or is it the way I'm training? It's actually helping a lot too, because I'm not repping anything. And then I started noticing my buddy who I let attack me all the time. He's going with other people and he's just tearing them up when he gets on their back because they don't really have the same defensive reactions. They kind of do it a little differently, you know, like, you know, this and, you know, leaving all their underhooks and everything opened up. So it's kind of funny seeing that adaptation happening. And then I'm like, okay, when I started teaching again, I'm like, let me just roll with this. Let me just not show as much technique and let's teach concepts. I took everything, you know, Kit Dale, Mendez Brothers, Lachlan, everybody was talking about concepts and, and how to do them. pre chris Payne's, uh the globetrotter guys you know guys like that if i leave somebody out my bad and then when i started teaching i said okay well let me put it into different situations so i I'm, i'm teaching teens and there's like a a 13 year old girl who's only been training for like three four months And I just said, I'm teaching X guard. And X guard seems like a pretty complicated position. You know, definitely when you're from the old days, you would never teach X guard to white belts or whatever. So I'd literally put them in X guard because it's not hard to put somebody at the end position. You're going to hold the leg and you're going to put your hooks and the game starts where the top person, all they have to do is not fall down. And the person on the bottom, you can either go backward, forward, left, or right. There's not too many ways you could go. Just stay in it and just move them around and see what you find, right? Right. So now the top person's learning balance, which is undertrained attribute for your jiu Everybody talks about technique and strength. Balance is huge. I put them in X-Guard. And after like five minutes, I look over, you know, I'm watching people do their things. And, you know, they're trying to pick up. They're this. Kids are falling over. Kids are getting a balance. And then she calls me over. She's like, coach, check this out. And I go, okay, let me see, see what you got. And she just took the leg that was under the the hook that was under the knee and just dropped it to the ankle and swept. And the first person fell over. And she's like, is this right? And I go, well, did they fall over? I'm like, yeah. I go, you just rediscovered a technique that one of the greatest jujitsu players of all time, Marcelo Garcia teaches on a DVD. Her face lit up. She was so excited. And I'm like thinking, I thought to myself, now, if I showed her that technique, you're going to learn it, but no, she rediscovered it. She, now she's going to own that technique. And she's like, I think I like X-Guard now. I'm like, that's awesome. X-Guard's fun. And it's not just this drilling of, you know, because when I give you, if I keep giving you techniques, you're always going to need me for another technique. And I don't want that. You know, my job is to make you good enough to where you could discover your own. We could talk about jujitsu. You could figure out anything you want after a while. If you need some help, come to me. I'd love to see when people are, uh, enjoy learning. You know, cause we, we want it to be fun, right? I'm not coming here to, to be miserable or I'm here to enjoy and learn and move my body in different ways. So I'm like, okay, if I could do that with X guard, you know, I could put them in right in reverse Delaheva, which is a super advanced guard, right? I, <laughs> I had the kids last night. I just put them in reverse Elahiva, and I'm like, okay, so top player, you're just going to keep pressuring through. You're going to try to clear off the hooks. Bottom player, just hold on, hold on as long as you can. Keep that ankle, keep that hook. You can use your arm any way you want. Then after they get sick doing that, now look to off balance somebody. How would you off balance somebody? You got you already got your foot on your hip. The other one goes to the ankle. They fall over. And now, then add another layer to the game. I always do, if you start with a a sweep, you never never accept the sweep. You got to get back up. Any type of sweep that happens to you, you have a chance to get back up unless they just perfectly knock you down. I'm always talking about getting back up to your feet. Never accepting it. So now they sweep them, they're holding ankles, they fall over. Now they're both trying to get back up. So you have to finish that sweep or you have to try to get back up and then you're put back in that position again. And it's just constantly live training in jujitsu. And I've seen so much growth from like these kids doing this and that's how I do my own personal training. Like, uh, you know, I still meet like once a week with my buddies. We go down to the basement, a black belt, a purple belt, you know, we have a blue belt come by or whatever. We just roll, but they're rolling, but, um, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I always going with a plan. That's how I learn, right? I'm always thinking I'm either going to play defense or I'm going to look for this leg locks, or I'm going to go to the back you know, I just, I always have a plan of what I want to do. that That's how I've always gotten better over the years.
1: You know, it seems like a deeper form of learning is what you're teaching uh, to me. You know, it's a, when you talk about the scenario with the young lady who rediscovered this Marcelo, you know, move, it becomes more embedded versus just memorization.
0: Yeah, it, it's, it becomes, you actually, uh, you own it. It's not you going through this catalog of techniques. Okay, now I'm going to pull out that sweep. No, you see it they're off balance, you attack it and then you go, you know, and it's, it's amazing that when you put yourself in these situations, you don't have to memorize things because what what's the old saying, you know, in, in any type of sport, when you start thinking, you know, you're not acting, you're not doing, and you because you see it all over. It's like, to me, it gives them that autonomy. It gives them that personal growth. It gives them that satisfaction. And they're doing it in a constrained environment. Uh, Greg Stouders, he's the super like ecological approach guy right now, and he he's like hardcore into like <laughs> never showing like a technique or whatever. And I I think it's a, a good way to go because I see it combined with the defensive stuff. But then because I, I I put this uh I put this meme online months ago, you know, Morpheus. You know, what if I told you uh, defensive jujitsu was all about offense? Because everybody's like, "Oh, you're just playing defense." No, I'm um, I'm learning about defense, but guess what? You're doing. You're learning about offense, <laughs> and then I don't always stay defensive. I do when I can. It's always this back and forth, and that's how, to me, jujitsu is is it should be trained not should be you know I'm, I'm speaking in broad terms here train any way you want uh, I'm just talking about what I do and how I how I've learned and how I feel like I've gotten better over the years if you look at like my uh my bell checker page <laughs> I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing I have a different instructor for every belt level and, and it was kind of odd when I when Christians like hey you got to jump on bell checker for the the globetrotter stuff we like to verify people and I just And I put all my stuff and I'm like, oh man, I've had a different person every time. And that's not just because I left gyms. I've lived in Connecticut, California, Florida, went back to California and now back to Connecticut. So I've had a lot of experience in a lot of different places.
1: That's what I mean by like, yeah, we said that you're eclectic. I mean, that must have really, I mean, that that's really cool that you got that many different looks, you know, that can be really beneficial. Having attended one of those Globetrotters in the Arizona camp a couple of years ago, that's one of the things I really, really loved about it was just how many different looks I got from just a plethora of black belts, you know, in just a few days. It was incredible. And if you could do that throughout the career of your jujitsu, like you're, you're talking about your belt journey, that's a really advantageous as well.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like it's made me uh really well-rounded, like and I I kind of think of it like um I follow a lot of uh movement people and they're always talking about like being a generalist or fitness people that what they they GPP general physical preparedness for any situation. So I kind of look at it as uh G uh, JJP uh, general jiu-jitsu preparedness. If I go to a school or a Globetrotters, I want to be able to do no-gi, leg locks, gi uh some stand-up some whatever and just have it all you know have all that i think sometimes we get too honed in on just our game and i think it's great if that's you know competition or you have a certain goal i always like uh, i think i even a globetrotter video i put i have a new a game every like six months because I want to keep learning different things because that keeps keeps the brain going, keeps me learning. And you have transfer over to other aspects of your jujitsu. You know, it's like, oh, I don't want to learn baron bolos because they're whatever. Well, try and learn them, get frustrated. And guess what? People are going to try to baron you. So if you're kind of trying to learn them, you kind of know why they work. So I give me more chance to stop it. It's like leg locks. I was doing leg locks in the late 90s. And I I would train with some jujitsu people and I would grab their ankle and they would just like tap immediately. And I'm like, wow, this is kind of crazy. I had that. And then I would roll with jujitsu people and then they would pass my guard and smash me and this and that because I didn't have the jujitsu guard structure. I had the MMA style guard and the scrambling, the movement and all that. So I took that scrambling movement. And then when I went to the You know, I finally started doing the gi or whatever. I would catch people in transition and this and that because I had that no gi fast paced experience. My jujitsu experience, like, it was all no gi shamrock MMA. It was submission grappling at first. I got my black shirt under Frank, I was teaching. And then I moved and I went to uh, train at my buddy's, uh, Rich uh, Crunkleton. He used to be in the, he was in the UFC and WEC and he got into jujitsu and I was training at his place and he had this uh black belt instructor that I was training. The guy was like 115 pounds and I put the gi on and he just like tore me up, cross collar chokes and all this stuff. I'm like, this is crazy. And then at first I'm like, man, this gi, this gi stuff is cheating. So I tried to learn it and then... I moved again. So I I went back and then I wasn't doing the gi anymore. I only had a couple little spurts of it. And then I got into the Eddie Bravo stuff. I had a little 10th planet gym for a little while in Connecticut with my buddy. I got my purple belt from Eddie. Then that kind of went under because my buddy couldn't train anymore. I'm like, you know what? I've been doing this stuff a long time. Let me try to learn the gi. I was always a no gi for life guy, right? I'm like, I don't need that gi. So I went into the gi and I said to myself every day, I am not doing any leg locks, any guillotines. Everything's got to be gi related. I'm looking for bow and arrows. I'm looking and I'm like, I'm going to use this. I'm going to play spider guard. I would come home and I would sit at the couch and watch TV at night. And I would like take my hands and like put them in ice because my fingers were like killing me because all I was, I was playing spider guard and lasso and De worm guard. Oh, I mean, I was doing it all. And I'm like, I need to learn this gi stuff. So I got good at the gi, you know, decent level. Then I got my brown belt and I I wasn't doing no gi anymore. Then I started saying, well, I'm a little older. Maybe the gi's better for me. Got my brown belt and then that gym closed down. So I went to another gym (laughs) and I was teaching there. Finally, I then I was going to get my black belt. You know, I was doing this for, you know, I forgot how long I was doing the gi, maybe five, six years, but that was after years and years of no gi. So I knew how to grapple. I just didn't understand the gi. I went through all that gi stuff. And then I finally got my black belt in the gi because I never cared about belts coming up. I was a no gi guy. We didn't care about that stuff. And then I started playing the no gi again, doing both, you know, because I'm like, I got to get my leg lock game back up. Because there's been so many advances in the leg lock games since back in the day. More studying, more learning. I have to have something I'm working on all the time. And like right now, I'm working on coaching. I read books on coaching. I watch videos on coaching, podcasts on coaching. To me, if you're a coach or a teacher, it's not just showing up and teaching. Like try to learn from these people that are really good at it you know, and it doesn't even have to be jujitsu related. Like this Rob Gray guy, he's a baseball guy. But then you listen to these podcasts from football, volleyball, soccer. This is where the money is. These people are actually putting money into these sports and they're paying their coaches. So you should listen to these guys or at least give it a shot. You know, you don't have to do what they're doing, but try to expand your your knowledge base on what you're doing. I'm always a forever white belt at this point, I think. It's like the blue belt blues, right? Everybody quits a blue belt. That's the joke. I was teaching, I was at this one gym and uh, we just had a crop of like six or seven new blue belts that got it on their promotion ceremony or whatever. So they got to come to my class. It was blue belting up. I go, listen, you're a blue belt now. You've been doing it for a year or two. But to me, blue belt is the first belt in jujitsu because we're right now here standing with a blue belt. Somebody could walk in off the street and said, I want to sign up. They're automatically a white belt. You're a blue belt now. And guess what? Those people that are standing off to the side, the two-stripe, three-stripe white belts, I go, they're coming for you because they want your belt. (laughs) They're like, man, that guy got promoted. I'm going to go after him. And now those purple and brown belts that were just kind of letting you explore and play jujitsu yeah. <laughs> now they're coming for you now they feel like they could take you out you know because you're a blue belt so that's what happens to blue belts they train for two years they think they get good happen you know me and then you get smack then you get it from both sides you got the white belts gunning for you you got the higher belts not taking it easy on you anymore and you're like man, i just did two years and i'm really not that good anymore you think that but you know that's just uh then you just got to power through, you know, and we got to make it easier for those people to get through. You know, that's always a, and then I tell them when you make it to purple, then you're like, you're probably in it for the rest of your life at some point, you know, you, you just got to get through that blue belt stage. And I think a lot of those blue belts, I, I train with a couple of them still, they're still training and they're purple, some are purple and this and that. So that that's good, you know, cause you're going to lose some people. But I don't want people to just, to just bounce out after they get their blue belt. If you're, if you're feeling bad about yourself and you feel like you're plateauing or you're not learning, just show up. It always feels better when I train when I don't train.
1: What about those discouraging times like when you get uh, injured, for instance?
0: I've been training for 30 years and I haven't had too awful of injuries. I got a shoulder that I got dropped on 15 years ago in a demonstration. Of, I showed a guy this throw and he's like, oh, let me try that. Boom, dump me on my shoulder. Bumps and bruises. So that stuff is tough. You have to power through. I would say keep learning. I would say watch some videos. Keep yourself in the game because it's easy to not do jujitsu anymore after you stop. It becomes a habit. Just like going to jujitsu becomes a habit, not going becomes a habit. And at the gym I'm trained uh, the gym I train at now, Ascension Athletics, we've had some people that were hurt, and it's great seeing them still show up and watch the classes. You know, they're not there all the time, but they're popping in and they're taking a look and they're, you know, they're going on YouTube, they're taking a videos and you know there's so much knowledge out there so back in the 90s if you didn't show up to class you weren't getting anything (laughs) you just you just have to go and i had injuries a tough part that's why i focus so much on mobility and movement for myself personally i think that keeps me going a couple years ago i came home and then i had like i started feeling my hip get really tight and then i just dropped to the floor for like two hours with this awful sciatic pain. I'm like, I'm 45 years old or 46 at the time. I'm like, this isn't good. So, you know, I started doing some research on some movement stuff on different things. And I just make it a routine to, you know, work on stuff like sitting in a resting squat, using passive hangs for my shoulders. That fixed my shoulder that I hurt years ago. Just constant throughout the day. Like I don't have set times I like go work out. I just randomly sit in a squat. Don't sit around as much as I used to. More walking, more whatever. You got to keep yourself going going and that's going to keep you on the mats in my opinion. I go outside in my yard and I do like animal crawls and cartwheels and handstands and and all that stuff. I just want to move my body in the most possible ways I can and have some mobility in those ranges. not just flexibility, some strength in those ranges because there's going to be some people torquing on my arms and my shoulders and my knees and I want to have that strength in that range. So that's uh, I'm just saying if you especially if you're an older, even if you're in 20s, whatever, if you get 30s, whatever, work on your mobility. Don't neglect it because it, it pays off, in my opinion.
1: No, I agree. We just spoke with uh, Diana Wang, who's with Open Map Physio. And she, that's one of the key takeaways that I took was, and you specifically mentioned it, was strength in, uh you know, an end of range type of strength, you know, is so important. I never thought of that because I remember long ago, and, and I've had other students talk to me about this too, is, uh, you know, how do I get more flexible and that kind of thing? And I remember early on seeing Eddie Bravo talk about, hey, man, when you're just watching TV, just do a little bit of, you know, a butterfly stretch, you know, a yeah. little bit, a little bit, and over time, and, and sure enough, I've become a lot more flexible just by doing little passive stuff like that. So I love your notion of just sort of passively throughout the day doing like a deep squat kind of thing or, or some animal crawls or something like that randomly. I think that's that's just fantastic. Insight.
0: Yeah, I, it adds up. It's it like, does. It's yeah. just, you know, first you sit in that resting squat, and that's pretty much guard retention right there, getting your knees back to your chest, <laughs> you know? Oh, wow. Yeah, you just, mm-hmm. if you sit in a resting squat, kept your back. I remember when I first started doing it, and I've been a pretty decently flexible guy through my life. And I'm like, man, my shins and hip were on fire after like 30 seconds, a minute. Oh, yeah. I'm like, that's crazy. And then now I can sit there for 10 minutes or whatever. You know, wow. it's harder getting up, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But then I feel great afterwards, and I do like um, uh, spinal waves. That's one been a, a great thing for me.
1: What's a spinal wave? Can you describe that?
0: You can do a whole bunch of different ways. So you can stand up, and it's just moving your moving your head out, and then your chest, and then so you're just you're just moving your body like this. You're just constantly moving your spine. It just gets your your spine moving more in ways you're just. We just don't do it. You know, when you're a kid and you watch kids, they'll like be on the couch. They'll be watching TV upside down or they're laying on the ground or they're sitting in this or that. But then you get to be like 13 or whatever. And they're always like, you know, stop acting like a kid, you know, stand up, sit down, stop moving around so much. Stop doing this. Then we start doing that. And then we start driving in our car. Then we go to the office. We sit on our couch. And you're literally sitting all day long or just standing straight up. And then you forget how to bend over. (laughs) You forget how to move your body this way. So in my opinion, I'm like, I'm going to keep moving different ways all the time. You know, I'm out there in my backyard, you know, crawling like a lizard. And do a bear crawls. It's like, but I feel gr- I feel great afterwards, you know. Like like I talked about, I don't do technique much anymore. But I was like one of those you, you got to have the perfect technique type people. But I always used to say, hey, you do jujitsu for a while, you change, and then you start moving like a jujitsu person. If you learn to move better, not even the context of jujitsu, it's going to give you more ability to move when you're doing jujitsu. You know, I know you had uh, Charles Harriet on who break dancing and all that stuff. And Gio and all those guys, Cobrina, he was Capoeira. I've played with some Capoeira. And if you can balance yourself and move in that position, you're going to give yourself more affordances to do things in Jiu Jitsu. You're just getting overall for your health, your life and, and movement. You have better movement opportunities. You can use that in Jitsu. It's like, it doesn't have to always be this super perfect jujitsu technique. You know, sometimes you need to move in an awkward way. I think it reduces injuries. If I could balance and post on my hand and I'm used to being in a cartwheel or a handstand or a a lizard crawl or whatever i can move in those positions because you never know what's going to happen you're going to be falling a lot you're going to get swept you're going to get dumped on your head you got to be able to tuck roll turn that's where those injuries come from it's putting your hand somewhere wrong and now your wrist is this because you're not used to doing that so like we were talking about balance earlier you see jeff glover he does the, all the balance on the the workout ball frank shamrock was doing that back in the late 90s and we would spin and flip and and then he'd be like hey come up with something creative off of this ball and you do like a leg overpass, or you try to do a flip off of it. And that just gives you more opportunities for movement. You know, jujitsu is a game of movement. It's a game of movement, and it's a game of stopping movement. That's why submissions work. You stop somebody from moving. When I teach escapes, I don't teach technical escapes because escapes are only happen when there's opportunity for movement. If you have me in side control and I'm start spamming my side control escape I learned from some DVD, if it doesn't work, that's all I got. No, I'm gonna protect myself, protect my, and I'm gonna start moving. Now you have to chase me. Now you have to try to stop me from moving again. And then I'm just gonna keep moving until I could get up and get out or pull guard along the way. I don't teach you an escape. You learn where those escaping opportunities are. Jujitsu is not darts. It's not archery where you could just do the same motion over and over over again and just rep that out. I like to do repetitions without repetitions. Like I'll put you in that position like we were talking earlier. So I'll start you in bottom side control like in a hawking type position where you're not, you're not already in a cross face and an underhook of getting smashed. You're already in that position. So now if they're heavy on your head, that means your hips can move. So move your hips. Now they're going to try to stop you from moving your hips. Guess what? Now you can elevate your head. So now you have to keep going back and forth with that. You don't even have to have your eyes open. That's just feeling somebody on your body. It's a very tactile sport. You can't do it without the other person. I'm not going to teach you this perfect technique and grab here and do this and do that. And then you have to just keep trying to remember these techniques. I'm going to say, if they're pinning your head, move your hips. They're pinning your hips, move your head. And I teach it the same way with uh, the guard, like a Z guard or a knee shield. After they can't control your head, you know, never let somebody control your head. And they start smashing on your hips and everybody wants to go to the body lock because the body lock's an awesome pass. If they're just controlling your hips in the body lock, I'm going to start getting up on my elbow and getting my head up. So now you have to worry about when you're going around my legs, now you have to come back to control my head. And then when you go to back to control my head and my back, now my hips can move again. I can't tell you when to escape. You're going to figure out where that escape is through the process of going back and forth. So that's a perfect example. I'll teach. I'll teach a body lock pass. I'll start you in the end range of the body lock already. So that top person has the body lock. They're locked in. The hips are in tight. All you want to do is try to free your hook or beat that person's bottom knee and start working up the body. And now bottom player, don't let them control your knee. Don't they let them control your head. Keep rising and just don't allow them to get to that position. And then when they do create space, start trying to get out. So now we have this back and forth of, and then you could teach the whole, you know, not the whole body lock system, but from those points, just from those live games. Those live games are just so important just for volume of training time, times per touches. You know, how much... Time can you get in these positions now? If we just wrecked it out, like I'm saying, one person's doing something, another person's just laying there. You know, they're not getting any time doing jujitsu. And then maybe their head start. You know, they start thinking about something that happened during the day or this and that. No, when you're in these situations, you got to be doing jujitsu. So, like I try to explain, like so, say I have an hour class. We won't even like my warm ups are not even warm ups. It's like basically not even a minute. If that, sometimes I don't, I'll just start you in a game already. So you do that, we do those games. We do that live training for 30 minutes, 35, 40 minutes, and then writing the rolling at the end. And now we're doing all those live games. We did all these different positions. Now we went into rolling. And now you did an hour of jujitsu, and you probably did about, depending how many breaks you take, 50 to 55 minutes of live jujitsu. Now compare that to an hour class of a 10, 15 minute warm up, shrimping up and down the mats, doing whatever, not whatever. Now you drill for 20 minutes, so that's not live, that's just drilling. And then you get to roll for 20 minutes, maybe 15, depending on the class, who knows how they're doing. So how much live Jiu did you really do? 20 minutes compared to almost 60. So you're getting like three times the amount of live jujitsu. If you wanna get better in jujitsu, Jitsu, you gotta do it. That's why it takes 10 years to get a black belt sometimes, because it took you 10 years, two, three, four, five times a week. Maybe we could shorten that up a little bit. Well, I'm not saying this is better than whatever, but maybe you're doing, More jujitsu, so you're going to understand it a little more. It's going to make it easier for you to pick up things. And I'll give you this broad spectrum of how it works. And now you can plug and play different things you want to add in. If I go to a school and so you act to somebody, hey, show me a fundamental technique. And what's the thing they show you sometimes? Closed guard arm bar, right? That's one. They'll give you one of that. Maybe a scissor sweep, right? There's no context. That person doesn't know what a guard is, you know? And then they they grab the collar, they grab the head, their arm leg goes over, and then they tap out. Now they put them in a live role. That never happens. <laughs> you know, everybody's like, no, you're not arm bar me. So why am I going to put those in a situation? One, you don't even know what a guard is. You don't know how to pass a guard. You don't know. And if you're in a guard player, you don't even know how to hold somebody down. Now you're already throwing up arm bars that you don't even know are. Then you get passed and you get smashed. And then you come back again and it happens again. And then either you stay or you don't. But I'll put you in these situations. I have these kids and I teach pinning. Passing all this stuff in one class, they can have a, a little grasp of each one along the way. This is a very great talks about this, where they play the whole game of jujitsu in every class, and it's just these little, you know, they've done studies on block training versus randomized training. Like I used to be a guy, like, okay, we're working on Delhiva. And we're doing this for a month. But what about all the other jujitsu that's supposed to be happening in that month? Yeah, you may get Delahiva really well, but then you switch to something else. And then you're like, okay, but now I'm not really training that Delahiva as much. I'm not training that guard. Then maybe I switch to like knee slide passing or whatever. If you're gonna show up, play the whole game, do jujitsu, doing these different parts, and then you're kind of start building and building and, and understanding how to move how to move like a jujitsu person. Cause you have somebody constantly pressing you. Jujitsu has always been a pressure tested martial art. That's why it's been successful. You know, I came from karate, you know, we would just be doing sidekicks in the air and spinning this and that and doing my forms. And, you know, it's great for what that is. But then when we go live spar, I don't do anything like those forms. I got a different stance and I'm moving and and doing these things. So if you're going to do jujitsu, do it. The said principle specific adaptation to imposed demands. Pretty much, you're going to adapt to what you do. Like we were talking about earlier, if you sit around all day, you're going to get good at sitting around. That's just just how it is. If you're moving around all day, you're going to get good at moving around. If you're doing jujitsu, you're going to get good at it. You know, you're going to adapt to what you're doing. So that's how I like to see it. I'm like, how am I going to maximize the amount of time I do do doing jujitsu? And I think so. You could do solo stuff, this and that, but do that, you know, you could do that on your own time or at home or, or whatever. But when you have another person, use that person and let's play some jujitsu.
1: There's a lot there to unpack, one of which was the beginner, like the day one or the one month person. We always think of gross motor movements in terms of like you, you specified something like the cross collar choke or, you know, throwing up a, a triangle or an arm bar or something like that. these sort of fundamental things that you're supposed to learn early on, these fundamental movements or whatever techniques. And so it sounds like you're just putting them from day one into the scenario so they have some sort of context of what guard even is or what even is happening correct is
0: it oh yeah like uh, i play a guard game um where uh you start with one one deli heave hook and grabbing the ankle. This is say uh, no gi. So one guard uh, one De La Hiva hook when I hold an ankle and my other hook is underneath their knee and I keep my hand the hand fight. That person on bottom, they just have to keep that position. Top person is just gonna try to break those grips and get out. Now you're holding that guard, you're hand fighting, you have a job, you hand fight, you hold the leg, you keep your De La hook nice and tight. If you lose it, you get back to it. And then now we add on where you start trying to sweep them or whatever just give you a couple options if you even if you need them. And now that person on top, what do they have to understand? Oh, you got a hook on me? I need to take that off. I can't pass your guard to unless I take off that Dele hook. I can't get by this without doing hand fighting first. You don't see DVDs on hand fighting. You know, that's that's not the big seller.
1: And, and the day one person doesn't even know what a no. hook is. They're just thinking foot, no. their hand, someone's grabbing hand. Now, sometimes I'll have the teens, and then
0: sometimes I'll have the kids that are eight to twelve year olds, and and you got these kids that they have no idea what a belaheba hook is, but then they could do it because you tell them hold on to their ankle and do not let kids love games, and and adults should too. You know, I think I think we need to play more, and keep your toes curled as hard as you can, and just hold it. And if you can, you won. And it's amazing. And you're like, after one class, you're like, oh, this kid's playing De La Hiba. Constantly attacking those spaces. Uh, Chris Payne says a great thing about jiu-jitsu from the guard is is the same as wrestling. You're looking for the back of the knee. You're looking for the pieces under the armpits. And you're looking for head control. It's the same thing in wrestling. A De La Hiba hook is just controlling the back of the knee. And if you've got a, a gi on controlling the collar or the head, that's controlling somebody's head. And now you're exploding up into triangles, and you're taking away that space of between the armpits. It's it's all the same. If somebody's in turtle, and you have a an arm in guillotine, you also have a darse and you also have an anaconda. All you got to do is just move your arms. It's not three techniques. It's a head and arm choke. (laughs) It's all the same. Same with a triangle, a rear triangle, a reverse triangle, anything. It's still a head and arm choke. It's just how can I orient my body around yours. So once I get that space, like say you're passing in side control and you go to mount and you have that underhook. And then what happens? People get into mount and then they posture up and they give away that underhook that you just earned. No, you take it. And I tell my students, I'm like, do not give me that elbow back. If you have an underhook and you pass from knee slide to side control to the mount, control my head and arm. And you could take that all the way to the back to a reverse triangle. You got that head and arm from half guard. So say we start in half guard, straight cross-face underhook half guard. And I'm just gonna say, okay, hold that cross-face underhook half guard as long as you can. Now try to free your knee. Okay, well, you freed your knee, but still keep pinning them down because they're gonna try to get up. Okay, now move into side control or mount or whatever and never give up that cross-face underhook. And as they start turning, you'll turn into back control. And now you're in that back fighting game we did earlier and all that stuff works. And now you're hitting rare triangles. And you're like, you don't even really know what it is. But you know, if I have your head and arm, I have a choke eventually, even if I took it all the way from half guard. But instead of showing a sequence of eight moves, you're literally playing in those positions the whole time. This constant, constant live work in those positions. And for me, it's been an amazing experience of just a different way to learn. Like I'm saying, if you want to drill and and do that, you know, go crazy. Great guys do it all the time. But uh, they'll be like, oh, that guy drills for two hours. Well, yeah, he probably also is grappling for two hours also afterwards. So, you know, he's a mat rat and they're there all the time. And who are the people that get better? The people that train more. For a longer time, it's volume. If you're training jujitsu twice a week, I want that two hours or three or whatever it is. I want that to be maximized amount of time for you. As a coach and teacher now, every class I teach or every seminar I teach, I want it to be a good class or a good seminar. I want something going on. I don't want to mail it in. <laughs> I don't want to just, you know, give you some warm ups, give you three techniques to drill and then go, go roll. No, I, I'm there to do, you know, because it makes me better. When I watch you train, I want to see you get better and I can pick up things because I like I'm saying, I'm, I'm always trying to learn.
1: You know, you mentioned earlier, you emphasized getting right back yes. up. This isn't something I always hear from people. Now, is this sort of like rooted in your MMA? Because typically I hear MMA guys say this, you know, they're so emphatic about getting up immediately.
0: It was funny when uh, I finally started watching preet stuff with the turtle, you know, because I came from submission grappling and we would turtle all the time. You know, if you watch old Frank, Frank's Pancras fights. And if you watch uh, one of my favorite MMA fighters of all time is a uh, Sakuraba. And he would turtle all the time. And in pride, eventually he got kicked in the head. Hey, it happens. But uh, he would turtle all the time. And he actually worked well. But we would always turtle because we wanted to get back to our feet. And we made you have to hold us down. Because we would turn our back all the time. Like, we just didn't care, you know, because we knew we had a chance to scramble, get out. And we weren't going to get pinned to the mat. Like, I, I hate being inside control, getting pinned. That's the worst. Like, somebody gets me a mount, I turtle automatically. Back then, I used to turtle, and they'd get their hooks, and I'd have to fight out of it. But now I, now I do more of the defensive stuff, and I don't give you that free hook as much as I used to. But then it was funny because I used to do that, and then I got into, like, the Gigi Jiu-Jitsu and everything. And it was always, don't turn your back don't do this, don't do that, you're going to get choked. And then I kind of fell into that path. And I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But then I always would still turn, try to Granby, try to get back to my guard. and I wouldn't try to get back to my feet because I wanted to play guard all the time. right? As I, I was always constantly playing guard because been, I've been doing this for a couple of years now. And then Craig Jones came up with his uh, just stand up stuff. And I'm watching that and I'm like, that's what he's doing. You're making that person. And then it's funny because he relates it to an MMA context. It's like, if you're trying to hold me down, that means you can't punch me, right? Because I'm using my hands to hold you down. So it's the same thing in jujitsu. If I'm trying to get up, if your hands are trying to hold me down, you're not getting a chance to choke me or arm bar me. You have to follow me through that whole thing. So now, and listen, I'll say, I I am an unapologetic guard puller. I'll pull guard in the parking lot coming into class. I don't care. (laughs) I'm not looking to wrestle anybody anymore. So what I do is I pull guard and then I let you try to get through all my guard retention. I, You know, whatever I'm playing. And then as soon as you pass, I do not accept side control ever. I immediately start getting up. If I'm inside control and I'm just constantly trying to get my guard back, you know what I'm going to do, right? So you're going to start fighting that knee back off, keep control of the bottom knee, you know, maybe hop over the legs. Cause you know, I'm just trying to get my guard back. But if I'm trying to get up, So here's guard and then here's standing up. You have to try to stop me that whole way up. And during that whole way up, I'm gonna open up space to pull guard along the way. And then if I get to my feet, then I can just pull guard again from there. So (laughs) that's how I teach escapes. You have to hold me, you have to pin me down, and then I'm just gonna pull guard along the way. You know, I'm going to get to, you know, turtle, I'm going to go active turtle, I'm going to try to stand up. And then if you move the wrong way, if I feel you releasing that weight or pressure on me, then I just turn and I pull guard. Why am I going to accept side control? So now if I don't accept side control, I don't accept that a cross face and underhook, I'm taking away the majority of your side control attacks. I'm taking away your cross-face underhook attacks because I'm not giving that away for free. You may choke me from behind if you get there, but I'm okay playing there right now. And I want to see if you can hold me down at that point. It gets very frustrating for the other person to do that. But while I'm doing that, guess what you're learning? You're learning how to pin somebody down. You're learning how to pass and pin. That's why the the body lock is such a huge pass because you already have chances to get to the upper body. You have upper body, and then you get your legs free, and you're already holding them down. Whereas leg drags and outside passing, you get by the legs, and then you have to secure the chest or the shoulders. So I have so many more chances to get back to my feet if you're doing that type of passing compared to like a body lock pass. Like, what are all the guys doing now? They're all trying to get to half guard, right? So then if you can get cross face underhook and then they can smash through, and then they already have your upper body collected. So now they can finish that pass. So you're going to see these games keep evolving. That's why little guys are so tough to pass. They got the good flexibility, the good hip mobility. They're never going to let you control their head. They're not going to let you control the upper body. You're going to have to outside pass, flip them around, and then they're just going to keep spinning. They're just going to spin. And it's just going to where bigger guys, they're going to play maybe those half guard games, the underhook and all that stuff. But if you get that underhook on top, I'm going to put you back on the mat and then I'm going to pass your legs and then I'm going to have you stuck. So that's why you'll see more passes like that at at the the higher weight compared to the lower weight. But if you're a big guy, might as well train like the little guy. Let them still try to hold you down. It's amazing. I I love watching jujitsu. I love watching all the, like I have this very broad general scope I train jujitsu in, but I still follow what everybody's kind of doing because then I, I see that and then I can add it in because once you develop these uh, fundamentals of moving jujitsu and understanding where you are in jujitsu, it makes it so much easier to add these type of things. Like uh, the K guard. K guard is pretty much closed guard. It's an open closed guard, right? So what's a closed guard? It's outside position, right? K guard, it's an outside position guard. So say you start in closed guard, now you open and you drop your leg and you have your other, you could go knee shield, you could go high, you're still on those outside things. So everything you're afforded in closed guard, triangles, arm bars, and that, you still have K guard. If they press their head in, boom, there's the uh, triangles right there. But now when they pick up their leg, you underhook the leg, your leg's already on the outside. Now you go into K guard and you start spinning around the leg. To me, K guard is is great because it gives you close guard, but it gives you extra hip mobility and movement to attack the legs. So now you can attack the lower body and the upper body in the same spot. Like the person lifts their legs, I go for the underhook. They don't like that, so they drop their leg and they try to pin me back down with their head. Now my other leg comes over the top and now I'm locking in the triangle type. And now I can work from there. And then if they stand up, their leg's right there again. And now you go into K-Guard and attack the leg. I want to teach a class one day just called attacking high and low or K-Guard's the new close guard, you know, or something like that. Like
1: these crazy Trotter names, you know. <laughs> Rob's already thinking I, of the Trotter titles here.
0: I challenge myself, how can I teach this without going super technical all the time. Like, how could I make a game out of this? How could I do something? Like um, like the shoulder crunch or the arm saddle game. I'm like, okay, that's a very complicated... If you watch some people teach the arm saddle or the shoulder crunch, yeah, you could play the shoulder crunch or arm saddle from like a, either a half butterfly or like a, a Z guard and you, you lock, they try to get the cross face. And so you just hold their arm and you bring your top leg over the top and it wraps underneath their arm and now you open up all these spots to go for triangles and the choi bar. Like so I'm like, okay, so how could I make that a game? So I was working with my buddy and he's hey man, I, I really like this arm saddle stuff and this shoulder crunch, couldn't you? But I'm not I'm not getting it as much as I thought I should. I go, okay, well let's let's figure it out. So you know, I started Z Guard, which is the knee shield or whatever, and I said, Okay. I'm just gonna hold your head like a crossface, and you're just gonna put any grip you want, just to hold my arm. And I go, don't do anything except don't let me get my arm back. All right. So at first, boom, I pop my arm out. All right, smash through. But then we start building these positions. Now he's holding onto it. Now he, I'm moving in and out, and he's just holding onto it. And then I go, okay, we kind of got that. We're just kind of workshopping it. I go, now all you got to do is get your leg over to my, wrap it around that open space you created with the shoulder crunch that's it. So we play, I'm trying to smash through, the knee comes across my face or it goes over my head. And now, boom, now he's in the choy bar already. It wasn't super complicated. It wasn't whatever. And I go, now we'll just play in that choy bar area. Now I'm going to lock my hands. You hold on as long as you can. And I'm going to try to free myself. Now he's transitioning You know, he's putting in the Kimura, he's going to the back, he's throwing in triangles. I went and I then I showed that to my uh, teams yesterday and they already picked it up and they don't know what that stuff is, but they all they know is I got to hold this thing as long as I can. All right, this is really cool. I go, because if I taught that the old way, it'd be like, you know, 10 steps, but they already understand. And that's why, um, like in the defensive stuff, there's a defensive guard, it's just a structure. So I just give you that structure of a guard. So they they know the guard structure and then what it does, it has all the same concepts, not giving up under hooks, not controlling your head, not letting them smash your knee down, all, all the stuff you need to be successful in a knee shield. They already have that structure. Now we add in the shoulder crunch. Now we add in the arm saddle, but it's all these little slices of the game there. And now you're developing your whole guard game. In a very short amount of time, you're not going to be amazing at it. You're not going to be great, but you're going to understand the context of it and you're going to understand why it works and why it doesn't. That's another great thing uh, Preet will say. He goes, I don't mind losing if I know why I lost. (laughs) <laughs> I get very frustrated when I don't lie. And I remember I used to be like that back in the day. I'm just like, oh, maybe I just didn't explode enough out of that move or, you know, whatever. Chris Pranes will talk about, you don't go to your boxing coach and go, hey, coach, I keep getting hit with this punch. Give me a technique to stop it. And then the coach just goes, well, were your hands up? No. Okay, well, put your hands up. And then come back to me after that, <laughs> you know, like have that built in there, you know. So that's where all the postures come in. They're gonna have to adapt to your defensive structure. That's how all sports work. If you watch football, you watch basketball, you watch this, you know, they they come up with new defenses. It used to be the 3-4 defense to the 43 to the then the Chicago Bears came out with the 4-6 defense, and it always had to keep going. And then it used to be just run the ball as hard as you can until they stop me now. Everybody's passing first to set up the run because the defense got better.
1: So you, you did use the word technical, you know, which is interesting because, um, you said, I'm not teaching techniques really per se or anything like that. So you still think people can be technical. Without well, techniques. yeah, because I think
0: there's technique and then there's a skill. The technique will emerge from that skill, from the skill of doing things. And then you have a technique. There's two ways. Sometimes stuff's is effective and then it just gets more efficient. So, you know, if you're a big, strong guy and you just, you know, grab my arm and rip it and I tap, that's effective. But uh, if you're wasting all your energy and you go with another big guy and it doesn't work anymore, you have to figure out how to make it a little more efficient. And then that's how you get more technical. I think we mince some of these words sometimes, technical, skill, some it's times semantics. And I don't want to be like one of those guys that's, you know, just, oh, I have it this way. And, uh, this is the way I do it. i want to break it all down and be super precise. No, it's just, I- I'm about skill. And, te- and I could, I use technique and skill interchangeably sometimes as I, uh, keep going down this, uh, path of learning because I used to do a lot of the old, uh, you know, I read the books, uh, Peak and Talent Code, which was all about repetition, you know, rep it until it's 10,000 hours and all that stuff. And I'm like, listen, man, I don't know if you know, there's a lot of stuff in jujitsu. And if I tried to do 10,000 reps in every position, I don't know how old I would be. (laughs) I don't think I... You know, I just don't know if it's, <laughs> yeah. it's possible at
1: that point. Yeah. I'm also a big believer in what you said earlier, like the 10-year black belt thing. I, I, I do agree wholeheartedly that we should be able to compress that down, especially with all the, you know, the knowledge that we have now and that Moore's Law should should apply here in terms of like with all this information that we have now and all this advanced knowledge, all this advanced coaching and all this advanced information yeah. in oh, people yeah. just starting younger globally, I should say, that 10-year mark It should be compressed less.
0: Well, I I think it it, it depends on the person. If you're training two times a week, you know, it's going to take a while. But in my opinion, you could speed that up a little bit. Jiu-Jitsu is such a weird thing because it's a, it's a martial art and it's a sport. When you go play basketball or whatever, you don't think about, I'm going to go down to the court, play all the time, and then I'm eventually going to teach basketball to people as much. Not that many people do that, right? Unless they're getting into coaching. and with. But I'm doing martial arts, right? So I eventually need to be able to teach somebody else how to do it or just help the person in the class, right? If you're a blue belt, help out the white belt. If you're a purple belt, you help out the other person. Jiu-Jitsu is really cool in that day. And I, I had this thought earlier where i go it's the one of the only sports where you could train it do it as a hobbyist but you could go to b team and train with craig jones You could go down and drop in and train with Hoffa Mendes or De Mendez Mendes at Art of Jiu Jitsu. You could train with the stars of Jiu Jitsu where I can't go, Hey, you know what? I'm going to drop in and on uh, the practice and I'm going to get to go train with uh, LeBron James. I'm going to show up to the LA and be like, Hey man, can can you show me how to do some basketball? No, that's it doesn't happen. So we have this martial arts sport that people that show up, your training partners, they're an integral part of the development, even of the high level pros. Hodger Gracie used to talk about, he used to learn all this stuff by training with blue belts. You don't get that in other sports. I don't want it to get to the point where there's this pros doing their pro thing and you never see them anymore. The people who watch jujitsu do jujitsu. The people who watch basketball and this and that, they may play here and there, but they don't really do it too much. They just fans of basketball or fans of boxing. You just don't go casually box or jujitsu. We can go do that. Or like I'm in a small state, Connecticut, and there's black belts and instructors all over the place. Or I could go do this Globetrotter camp and there's 20 black belts right there. And then there's another cool thing I did at Globetrotters in Arizona. Christian started doing this thing. He called it a white belt appreciation hour. So that instead of the open mat where everybody gets trained, he made it an hour and he had all the instructors or black belts that were there. Go on the mat and only white belts can join the mat. So you go grab a white belt and you get to work with them as many as you want for an hour. Like, how awesome is that? So, like, I I was, I was instructed in Arizona and it was white belt appreciation. And this young lady came up and said, Hey, what do you want to work on? And and she's like, I don't know. And I'm like, just, just show me what, whatever you want to work on. And we trained for like an hour. And I'm like, that's awesome. You know, it's like a private lesson. these are things that push the art and the people want to be part of it. They want to do this stuff. And you see why people get addicted to jujitsu and they start putting themselves in these cultures and they go to Globetrotter camps or they go to, you know, watch ADCC or they get together and, and stuff. It's like, it's, it's hard to do that in other sports. I, I enjoy it. That's why, I, that's why when I finally hooked up to globe I'm like, man, I really wish I would have did this a couple of years earlier. It's just, it's such a good time, you know, and it's like, you have great instructors and great classes but those open mats are so important because like we were talking about earlier doing live jujitsu because a lot of times we, we train in our, our gym and our club and you're rolling with the same people over and over you can kind of predict how the roll is going to go right then i go there and then you got people from canada people from europe people from whatever And you're getting all this different type of data that you're just using, you know? And they're like, oh, that's a cool way to play. Oh, that's a good thing to do. And then now you're actually, you're learning. Every time we roll, we're learning. You know, you go in with an attention, you go in with how you want to train, and now you get to try it against different people. So I've heard other guests talk about how it's kind of like supercharges, like how much training time you get. And that's what it is. So do the classes, but do the open mats. You don't have to kill yourself. You know, everybody does that first. They, they jump in and go nuts and they're they're dead in two days. You know, just take, take your time, get on the mats, you know, and do that. And that's just another avenue for learning for me. I, I learn as much as, as you know, the, the students are learning because I get to roll with so many different people.
1: One of the things I want to talk about is uh, defensive jiu-jitsu. We talked about that in Preet Mikkelsen's sort of system as well. For those of us that have really studied it and um, and practice it quite a bit, one of the critiques of it, I would say, is where is the transition to offense? And I know Preet's been working on this and sort of trying to articulate this because it's so effective. You could sit and just play defense in that system yeah. for Jesus, a whole role or something like that, right? Can you just walk us through your thought process in terms of how the defense and the offense sort of relate?
0: That's actually a great question because I, I you know, I go on Reddit or these different things online and I see you know what the critiques are of defensive jiu-jitsu and I, and I understand them and I, I understand why people say that because when you're first learning it, you have to play that defense that way because you're literally learning it. If you want to get good in turtle, you have to be in turtle. You want to get good at getting out of the mount or surviving inside... You you have to do it. You can't always just get out because what are you really learning? And it's funny. It's like, we don't get mad at people for just playing De Hiva or just throwing down passes on you and smashing you. What I do and the way I liked it, because as I pu- played in these ecological approach type of things, is I kind of like teaching defense a little different now. Preet has his way and he's like, shut down, stay there, learn all the postures, and then start transitioning and movement. To me, the way I, the way I'm showing it now, like I said earlier, is I teach you the concept of your underhooks, controlling the, you know, controlling the space. So I could do games where the first minute just survive, stay in turtle, shut it down, hand fight, do all your things, shut it down. Now, now get out. <laughs> now this is where the transition comes, and this is what's going to the offensive player is going to try to find those transitions. Or sometimes I won't. I'll just say. Okay, you're on the bottom, there's a time limit, try to get all the way up without getting pinned down. So it makes it more active, like uh, it's it's a very more of an active defense. So there's, you could shut down, which I don't do personally that much. I prefer to move. I think the highest form of it is a controlled scramble. It's, I'm moving from, you know, Hawking, to Running Man, to Turtle, to Active Turtle, to Up. But I can do that in a couple seconds, But in that whole time, I'm sticking to all the concepts. And then if I get stuck in a position and they get the underhook, I'm not just going to accept it. I'm going to clear it out. And now I progress the role. And now, as I told you before, now you're pulling guard along the way and that's where the offense comes in. Or say they're attacking your turtle and they fall off, then boom, go right into your offense. And look for those things that you are protecting. You are protecting your underhook. You are protecting your hips. Now attack theirs. You know, instead of it trying to get to side control or try to get to mom, try to get to a controlled position, that's where the bread and butter of jujitsu is. It's control. That's kind of why I love the Mendes brothers originally because their positions were actually super controlled positions all through everything. Like they were constantly winning the grip fight, winning the control. They were not even in a position, but they were getting to a control point, and then they just worked their way all the way up. That's why the the joke is, you know, what if I told you defensive jujitsu was all about offense? So. Now, when I teach people like this, and I teach these kids, when you're in an offensive cycle, guess what? You're on offense. They're being on defense, and now they switch, and now we're going back and forth, and it makes it more, it's not just you try to survive for five minutes. It's constant back and forth, and then then the transitions come, the attacks come, and all that stuff. So, like, uh, I'll train with my students, and I'll tell, you know, my kid's like 14, and pretty good. And I'm like, okay, I want you to attack me with everything you got. And all I'm doing is playing defense, but I'm moving through every position constantly. So he's just hunting for open spots. And he's just finding gaps constantly. And when he finds those gaps, I try to clear him out. And then if he gains a gap and he gets a seatbelt, now he's going to try to get the hook in. And now I'm constantly fighting it off. And then if I fight off and I see a chance to reverse it, then I'll reverse it and I start going on offense. I think people get the difference between training and life sparring, you know? You can do both. You know, how are you going to get better on defense unless you play defense? I watched a Craig Jones video and it was Craig Jones working out of bad positions. And nobody's going to get mad at Craig for saying he's just working out of bad positions, right? (laughs) So I think you could teach offense without defense, but you could never teach defense without offense. Because like I'm saying, you can't dead drill defense. Like, it just doesn't make much sense. Okay, just keep triangling me. Or what? It just, just, just doesn't make sense. But you could teach offense all the time. Like, the majority of Jiu-Jitsu is taught offensively. So if I train defense... You're always training offense. So we're training both. It's all coupled together. So I'm merging that defensive jiu-jitsu philosophy with the ecological approach from like Greg Souders and these type of guys, because they all talk about the same things. They talk about Pre and Chris Payne's and different guys. It's the same thing Greg's kind of talking about, but they're teaching more from the defensive perspective, which makes a lot of sense to me. Like even before the ecological stuff I learned, I have a buddy and he was always a Guy Brown Belt. Doesn't like leg locks couldn't stand him. But we were training more no-gi and he's like, you know what? I eventually want to get my black belt and I still want to be confident in leg locks. I still want to have that in my game. You know, just a personal growth. I could have had him just rep out leg entries and false reaps and all this other way, the way we teach leg lock. I said, okay, this is how we're going to do it. I'm going to teach you from the defense part. I'm going to put you in the saddle with the leg and all you're going to have to do is hide your heel. That's it hide your heel. I'm going to attack, attack, and then boom, I heel hook and we tap. You know, If I get the grip, tap, tap, tap. Now he's not tapping as much. Now he's hiding his heel. Now he's starting to extract his leg. Now he's pulling his leg out and running. Now he's pulling his leg out and getting back in there. And all he's doing is the defense. And guess what? He started getting heel hooks. He started learning the position. And then we switched to 50-50 50-50 or 80-20 or 90-10, you know, outside kaku and start just there. Start in these really bad positions. And all you have to do is hide your heel any way you can. Because once you get into these weird shot, and everybody's rips and then taps, no, learn the defense first for your legs. And then after a couple months, you know, he's catching me in heel hooks. He's catching my buddy in heel hooks because we're playing in that spot. And we did not rep out a single move. We just played in the live heel hook situation, the live leg entanglement game, and that's it. And I'm like, all right, so defense first, now the offense will come because you can't train one without the other. And it just it just made so much sense when I started doing it like that. And it was funny with the defensive thing. He's a brown belt. He signed up EBI style submission all tournament. And I only trained with him a couple times before I used to train with him back in the day. He goes, okay, I need will you guys jump on my back because I got to have some back defense for this EBI style overtime. So we attacked his back a couple bit, and I said, Hey, let me, uh, let me just show you something real quick. All I want you to do is look towards the choke. You know, if the right arm's coming over, look towards the choke, try to look at their armpit, move to that side, fall to like a running position, free the hook on this side and just roll through. Do this silly move called the stick. Even if they got the move on the choke on you, you could rotate your whole body through because they don't have an underhook. No lie. We did this position for 10 minutes. And he's never done defensive jiu-jitsu in his life. He went and fought Friday. First match goes to overtime. (laughs) Guy gets on his back. He looks towards a choke, falls down, stick, gets out in like 15 seconds. And then he choked the guy out. And I'm like, all right. And then he's like, hey, man, can you mind showing me any more of that defense? I'm like, hey, there you go. I go, you got 10 minutes. I'm not saying it's perfect. He didn't, you know, he just did it. I'm not saying it's gonna work every time, but, and I was so happy that a brown belt had the confidence to try something he's never tried before for only 10 minutes and do it in a competition where I did, you know, a a couple hundred bucks on the line, you know, whatever it was, and he just did it. But the concept was, you know, look towards the choke, clear the hook and rotate around. That's it. It was not these crazy back defenses and all this and that, which still work obviously, but it takes a lot of time to learn back defense. But if I could teach you something in 10 minutes, to me, it has some value. Or I'll even do like the constraints. I take the kids, I'll take their belt and I'll tie them up. So their elbows are stuck in their side and all they could do, they could just reach like this because the belt's holding them down. And then they even have geese on. So it makes it even tougher because now I'm like, okay, person's on your back. All they're going to do is try to choke you. And all you have to do is just use don't use your hands, just move, look towards the choke and keep going. And it's amazing because they have that constraint of, I can't open my arms. So now they, then you take the belt off. Now they're just know that now their hands can actually do some fighting and they're just get confident in that position because they were in that constrained environment.
1: So Rob, what do your teeth and Bruce Buffer have to do with each other? <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: that, oh man, that's so funny. Cause uh, when I was a shamrock guy back in the day, And down in Southern California, they were trying to make a show. It was kind of like an MMA pro wrestling type show. It was supposed to be like fake MMA. I think it was called, so they were shooting a pilot. It was called like Warriors, Extreme Warriors or something. I don't even know what it was. And then I used to know, uh, I was buddy was with with Brian Johnston who used to fight in Bride and all these, you know, UFC and Pride. And And me and my buddy always used to do like pro wrestling. After class, I'm awesome. diving out the ring. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing all these crazy moves we're we're stone cold stunnering each other and all this stuff. So he's like, man, you guys are pretty entertaining. You know, I always like to try to be entertaining. You know, I, I like to make things fun. So they're like, hey, we're doing this show down in L.A. and we need a couple guys to come down. And then just take a match. And I'm like, all right, cool. So I go down there, me and this guy, we, we didn't uh, really choreograph it, but like, uh, he's like, Hey man, you got any cool moves? I, I, I could do like a flying arm bar and this and that. And then he was going to beat me with a head kick, right? Take a nice stiff head kick and be done. And then. It tapped me and knocked me out. So the show is going on, and Bruce Buffer, I don't think he was the UFC guy yet because his brother Michael was the main guy, you know, the let's get ready to rumble guy. So Bruce was kind of coming up in the game. We're all talking before the matches, and, you know, Bruce is back there, and he just looks at me and he goes, uh, You got some nice teeth. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't really think I did, and I, I don't think I do. And I'm like, Oh, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Buffer, you know, and, uh, and I <laughs> I remember telling my wife that, and she thought that was so funny. So in the Globetrotters, they always have this weird, at the bottom, any little fun fact. And I was trying to think of one. This happened 20-something years ago. Like, this was early 2000s. And it was funny because uh, I did that show. They recorded it. I took a head kick to the head, a little stiffer than I thought it would be. It looked good, though. And it was funny because I was going to go to Japan, and they had this thing called X1. And it was going to be... MMA pro wrestling again type thing. So I thought it was going to be like a, a a work fight, you know, like a, they know it was a fake fight. And I think it was supposed to be against, uh, remember Kid Yamamoto? So his brother was getting into it. It was like a young kid. And I was matched. They got me on the poster and everything. I was going to go wow. to Japan and fight Kid Yamamoto. And, awesome. uh, you know, before I was going to fly out there, they're like, uh, so he doesn't know it's a fake fight. I go, Oh, geez. Uh, I go, okay. He, I go, he thinks it's real. So you, you got to get beat down by his brother. And I'm like, I, I don't want to do that. I'm like, I want to work and do some entertainment, you know, and they're like, well, you know, then they came back and I'm like, nah, I'm not sure what I want to do They're like, well, you can, you know, maybe get yourself DQ'd, you know, and then lose that way. I'm like, I ain't going to Japan where I've never been before with these guys and try to uh, take a cheap shot on like a 15 year old, you know, <laughs> a 16 year old. So then they, 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 uh, they took me out. And then another guy went out there and he got like KO'd or whatever. And I'm like, oh man, it's all these weird things start coming up from all my, you know, jujitsu, MMA, submission grappling journeys, you know?
1: So Rob, it's been a real joy. Where can the listener get more information about you and everything that you're up to? Oh, yeah,
0: the easiest way is uh, on my Instagram. It's uh, liquid underscore Rob. I just do an Instagram. I do some reels, Ascension Athletics. If you're ever in Connecticut, come by and train. Everybody's welcome. Very open gym that way. And then I'll be at the Globetrotter main camp and Arizona camp teaching. You know, anybody come up, talk. Uh, just enjoy training. I enjoy jujitsu.
1: Well, everyone, remember, I am your host, Adolfo Fronda and you can join and become a VIP member. Please give us the subscribe and the thumbs up and the five-star reviews on wherever you're listening, you know, the Spotify, the YouTubes, and uh, everywhere else, Apple Music and everything. So, Rob, thank you so much for your time, man. It was a real pleasure. I really enjoyed this conversation, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Loved it. Thank you. See you guys next time.